0: Beef and Forage Roundup with host Chantal McCrae. This podcast is a production of Manitoba Beef and Forage Initiatives created to share information with farmers, producers, and agriculture enthusiasts to showcase the important work that is happening at MBFI. Our podcasts drop on the first and third Wednesday each month. We will be sharing information through interviews with General Manager Mary Jane Orr, project leads for various projects, MBFI team members, speakers from our extension events industry leaders, and industry suppliers. This podcast will dig deep into on-farm research and field testing practices related to beef cattle and forage production, and efficiency and sustainability of practice in the agricultural industry in Manitoba. We will be sharing information on upcoming training and workshops, field and farm demonstration tours, education materials and events at MBFI, as well as producer profiles from around the province, and information on their own trials, challenges, innovation, and results we encourage you to browse our social media accounts and website for links to more information on projects, upcoming events, and important deadlines. Information on our social accounts and website can be found following the show and in the show notes. As always, we encourage you to email us if you have feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for the show at information at mbfi.ca.
1: Raymond Bittner is the predation lead at the Manitoba Beef Producers Association. Ray has spent his career troubleshooting on farms all over Manitoba over the last 30 years, with a career spanning from livestock genetics, nutrition, environment, and economics. Ray continues to operate the family farm with beef and cash cropping with his wife and family. Ray has always enjoyed the creative side of agriculture, with boundless new ideas, inventions, and then building and using them to make life easier or more efficient. Welcome to the podcast, Ray. Thank you so much for taking time to meet with me this afternoon. Today, we're going to be talking about the Livestock Predation Prevention Pilot Project, which is a project of the Manitoba Beef Producers, Manitoba Sheep Producers, Manitoba Trappers Association, and the Government of Manitoba. Before we get into all of the information you have to share about this project and predation in Manitoba, can you share a little bit about your history and background, especially in regards to your background in agriculture?
2: Sure. Thank you, Chantel. I'm from a third generation family farm. Uh, we have beef, we have cash crops, so I'm involved in the industry every day. Um, before working from MBP, I worked for the Manitoba government for 23 years in extension, primarily with beef. We did a lot of work on watering cattle. We did a lot of work on nutrition and silage production. The Predator Project was a bit of an extension and it has, has, has some similarities to all those things.
1: What is your role now with Manitoba Beef Producers and how has this led you to be involved in the Livestock Predation Prevention Project?
2: I was actually specifically hired for the Predation Project So that's my only role in MBP. I'm in charge of basically setting up risk mitigation projects. And once we get all the risk mitigation projects set up, I'll be the one who does the tabulating of the results, whether people like the practices or didn't like them or found fault in the practices. So that's, that's my role. And that's what I'm going to be doing for the three-year project.
1: Do you have a typical day? And if you do, what does that look like for you?
2: Um, it depends. In winter time, it's uh, putting a lot of data together. I was uh, given some access to the MASC database to help figure out where the problems lie in the province. So I spent a lot of time on Excel, crunching numbers. Um, in summertime, I help get the projects onto the ground. Sometimes it's with a hammer and nails, building a fence, and sometimes it's delivering or working with people to make sure everything's set up properly
1: kind of a little bit of everything then, depending on your season?
2: Pretty much, yeah. Jack of all trades, I guess (laughs) you call me.
1: Can you share some information on the challenges of predation for Manitoba producers?
2: The challenges are large. When we look at the high cost of producing beef and any of the livestock in Canada, it's extremely frustrating when a producer goes through all the the feeding all of the breeding all of the everything that that comes up with a baby calf and it gets nipped by a predator early on whether it's just injured or whether it's killed you know it's an extremely high expense and you know at this point with all the costs rises you just can't handle too many extra expenses you know uh, producers work hard to vaccinate against disease try and put the correct feed to get the game to, to work properly and uh, you know it's such a loss when you know the calf is out of the cow and just about ready to produce, and that's it for it so yeah it, it's a very frustrating thing, and uh, we're trying to work to reduce those numbers
1: So would you be looking primarily then at calf losses, or are there instances in the province where it's say yearlings that are more targeted or adult animals themselves?
2: yeah, you know we, what we tried to do is we cut a wide swath. Not only are we in the beef industry, we're also working with the sheep producers to try and reduce their problems. Um, they have certainly different problems because most sheep producers already have a large mitigation strategy for predators. You know, we're just supplementing with one or two extra things. But uh, no, you're right. Uh, we're dealing with baby calves, we're dealing with yearlings. You know, yearlings are flighty and bashed into fences and trees and stuff like that when they're pursued. So uh, predators like yearlings too. When we look at the data, though, um, beef, calves are the absolute number one claim on the MESC database. So um, we're aiming first for calves, but we're cutting a wide swath.
1: Do you have an estimated economic impact of predation losses in Manitoba?
2: Yes. I looked at some of the database information. We found that in 2020, there was about 750 individual producers who made a claim. That was between beef, beef, sheep, dairy, bison, the, all of the claimable livestock species. That's 750. And it's close to $2 million worth of compensation. That's a big enough number. Mm-hmm. But the practical aspect of it is, is for every calf that is found, take a picture of, talk to the adjuster, Get it all claimed. There's probably another one or two or many more that weren't found in time and weren't able to be claimed. So, you know, our baseline is $2 million, but the actual damage and loss may be double that, maybe triple that. Over the years, MBP has tried to get producers to estimate, and some have estimated as high as they only catch one in 10 losses. Now, I certainly won't say that's typical, but it's part of the problem, so it, it's a big problem. It's a big problem for the whole industry.
1: That's a huge number. I didn't realize actually that it was that high. If producers are doing a claim, is there a minimum number, or can they claim one animal at a time?
2: Um, you don't have a minimum. What you need, the minimum thing you need is some sort of evidence. You need a carcass. Mm-hmm. You can't have just dry bones that are found off to the side. It has to have some some flesh on it so that an adjuster can come, take a look, and come to an understanding that the animal was alive when it was affected by the predator. They wanna make sure that it was uh, not just dead stock that gets scavenged, they wanna find some level of evidence that uh, it was a live animal that was taken out by a predator. And that can be accomplished by taking digital pictures and keeping the evidence uneaten somehow call your MASC office and get them out they'll send an adjuster to come and look and confirm your information.
1: That makes sense but I can definitely see how difficult it is for producers if calves are dragged off and eaten or moved and buried.
2: Absolutely Um, bears are famous for you know uh, they find something they want to eat they drag it off Mm -hmm. and eat it underneath a willow tree or something like that so you know the blood spatter may be over here the evidence is elsewhere.
1: What risk management tools already exist to support farmers?
2: The most common ones we've been installing so far are dead stock composting pens, which uh, when you have some dead stock, it limits predators from getting in there and tearing it apart and uh, taking off with it or consuming it. Um, we've installed quite a few um, five acre pens that are made of seven wire High tensile electric wires which have been pretty effective. Another one of the popular ones has been solar fox lights. Uh, They're little lights that are run by solar power and have a battery and at night they emit strange light shows that uh, are supposed to distract wolf and coyote. Uh, We've been doing things like GPS collars on cows and sheep so that um, When a producer needs to check the cows or check their livestock, they know where to go in the pasture and find them first. Um, Some of the interesting features of the GPS is some of them also have activity alerts. So if the animal is generally very docile and not moving, and then all of a sudden breaks out into a run or something like that, the activity alert will send a note to your phone and tell you that something's going on. That's pretty cool.
1: That is pretty cool.
2: Yeah. Uh, We're also promoting vet assessments so producers can have their vet come out to their farm, take a look over the, the cows or sheep on pasture and determine is there something they could have done to make sure that everybody out there is healthy. Maybe you can sort some of the slow moving ones off and take them back to the yard or something like that. So that's been our most popular stuff we've been doing so far.
1: Where would you say that predation is most prevalent in the province and what species of predators cause the highest losses in different areas?
2: Okay, good question. Um, you know, predators can be found everywhere, even including inside the city of Winnipeg or Brandon. You know, there's coyotes wandering everywhere. So, mm-hmm. you know, your chicken and baby lamb is not immune from it any place in Manitoba. But, you know, there's, there's the tough points. When it comes to coyotes, there's calf losses and sheep losses everywhere. When it comes to bear and wolf, we typically look at uh, river's edges for bear and rough country edges. And wolf, we kind of look at the borderline between farmland and natural land. With the wolves, we're looking at kind of a diagonal line across Manitoba from the Duck Mountains through the interlake all the way up to... The Minnesota, Ontario border corner. It, it varies on species.
1: Has there been an increase in predators in the past years? Or like, I feel like there's years where you see so many more coyotes or you see more bears. Is there evidence showing that those kind of fluctuate and are increasing? Or is it just maybe that people are noticing them a little bit more or that they're tracking those losses a little bit better? So the numbers are higher um, or does do you think it stays pretty stable?
2: My my belief from all the evidence I've seen over the last few years is, is that it's been creeping up over decades, and the reason I say that is is for a couple of reasons. Uh, you know, rural depopulation has been affecting Manitoba fairly seriously, where there's just less farmers, mm-hmm. less trappers, less people with a rural lifestyle. Um, there's maybe you know, in the towns have grown, but the rural has decreased. Second to that, you know, the fur industry has just basically fallen to pieces with prices. Uh, there was a time when you could actually invest some money in a snowmobile and gasoline and some traps and make a trap line and, and pay your bills and, and do some interesting things with that. Uh, the time is now that, you know, the one coyote won't pay for half a tank of fuel for your snowmobile. It's probably a combination of all those things. And I guess on the other side of it, you know, MBP has been actively promoting the MASC compensation program. So when you lose something, we really encourage everybody to call, make the call, try and get a claim. You know, that's their way of saving some of that investment and, uh, and making some money off that cow for the year, even if you lose the calf. So that all those three things have brought the numbers up, whether it's, Every year is different a little bit. You know, uh, three, four years ago, we had a real spike. And then the year after we had an abatement. And, you know, it depends on berries. It depends on different food sources, but it's not going away is the key message.
1: So this three-year project began in 2020. What was the process in developing the pilot program and what outcomes are you hoping for throughout this project?
2: The project envisioned was envisioned many, many years earlier. A committee of Manitoba Agriculture, Manitoba Conservation, the Trappers Association, Manitoba Beef, Manitoba Sheep, and MASC, uh, Manitoba Agriculture Services Corporation, and uh, Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada had a working group. And they knew something had to be done. They were looking for different options. Eventually, uh, in and 20, the new project was announced, the three-year project to give funding to it. And after that, we came up with the specifics. That's how it all came about. And it's been a long time coming. Uh, We're trying to be patient. A lot of producers were frustrated, but you know, we're, we're working on it. We're getting, we're getting some traction now.
1: What are some of the risk management practices that are being used to prevent predation in the pilot project?
2: Yeah, like um, the, the the five acre seven wire fences are probably one of the one of the key ways of of reducing predation in a calving scenario or in a weaning scenario. So we're promoting that to some of the sheep people. Um, we've brought in some electro net. For those who are unfamiliar, it's a nylon net with with metal strings inside of it that you get hot with an electric fencer. And you know you can maybe close in an acre at a time and uh, keep the wolf on the, the coyote on one side and the sheep on the other. Uh, that's been been very popular. We, we've been trying all sorts of different things. Like I, I mentioned, uh, the GPS is a really up and coming thing. It's a bit expensive so, so far, so we want to prove that it works. But knowing where your herd is at any given time, knowing their movements, um, if they're hanging out in an unusual part of the pasture where you just don't think they should be, you know, maybe it deserves a look. And when you go look, you can drive straight to them and find them. So those are some of the more popular ones.
1: Is there financial assistance available to producers to assist them with the initial costs of purchasing those items?
2: Uh, Sort of. How how it works is um, we have a list of people who expressed interest in the project through a survey that we ran in our introductory year. Uh, From there, we contacted people and tried to pull them in and say, you know, are you interested in working with us? And if so, what we did is we procured the items, we bring them to the farm and uh, get them set up so that they know what they're what they're into and what we're gonna do is send out evaluation forms. So at this point, there's only a few things left. There's some, um, some flattery wire that per- producers might wanna try. And uh, there's some Fox lights that producers might wanna try. But other than that, we're basically sold out. Once these are all established, uh, producers will be filling out evaluation forms, sending them back to us and we'll start tabulating the data on which actually worked, which didn't work, why it didn't work or what could be made better to make it work properly. That's where we're at right now.
1: And I feel like we've kind of already talked about this, but is there other ways that the program supports farmers who may be experiencing losses due to predation?
2: Not specifically, like we we don't have any compensation aspect to our program. We leave that to Manitoba Crop Insurance. So you call your adjuster they'll come and collect the evidence and they'll send the compensation to you. Beyond that though there is one other uh, outside help that you can enlist. The Manitoba Trappers Association has been given funding by the government of Manitoba to help producers to remove some of the problem predators. So um, if it's deemed uh, an issue you can contact Trappers Association and they may dispense a trapper out to your farm to help you remove or at least figure out the situation better. The trappers are quite good at this and uh, there isn't enough of them for the whole province so we can't say everybody will get even treatment but we're trying to or the government is trying to get another way of removing some of these problem predators.
1: And when I was doing some research on the website about this program as well I found that there was lots of really good resources available right on the Beef Producers website for people who maybe wanted to find out a little bit more about some of those risk management practices and maybe how to use them, even if they couldn't be part of that project. Which I think is just important to, to mention, too, that there's all those documents that are online.
2: We, we've just begun with the website. Uh, right now we have the risk mitigation projects um, that you can that, that are in play and getting used right now. But in the future, as we start getting the evaluations back, we'll tabulate the data and say uh, practice X was successful in this manner. Unsuccessful for that could be improved by this. Uh, you know and, and the website will be the key um, key intersection where people can get a hold of information.
1: How can producers participate in the program at this point?
2: you know, we have lists of what we procured to do. Um, at this point, we can't support because we're a little bit too far into the program. But, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to build a seven wire fence, you know, we'll talk to you about the spacing of the wires, how much how much of a fencer you need, what type of site preparation you need, the type of gauge you need. Um, you know, that's that's the other thing, you know, getting a practical way of solving these problems. And sometimes farmers figure out cheaper ways of doing things. And I'm good with that. As long as, as long as we're getting the risks mitigated and getting it to go, getting it work. And uh, if we can hold the predators back from the cattle or sheep, all the better.
1: What have you noticed in the early stages of the project? Um, have there been any early successes in deterring predation?
2: The success and failure is uh, is, uh, is dependent on each one. If you look at the seven wire fence, if you've got a red hot seven wire fence with a good, good, good fencer that's given a 10,000 fold zap, you're probably gonna keep the coyote bear and wolf out. That's, that's not much of a problem. The big problem is keeping it actually hot like that, you know, so that you got a good, good fencer, you a good ground and that you don't have stuff leaning against it sometimes. Something gets, shorts things out. Sometimes some straw or hay gets up against it and then you're shorted out and then then it's not effective. So that's one of the physical things that may limit the success. On the opposite end of it, uh, you know, something very simple is the fox lights. You just simply hang them from the fence. The solar charges them. You never have to touch them. You never have to do anything. Very little input with the solar fox lights. But whether they're actually going to hold the fox or coyote or wolf back is a bit of a question you know that's what we need to answer so but it's it's a very challenging program in that some some practices work 100 percent if you've got a working and some practices maybe they're going to work but we have to figure that out so but there's a lot of things to this program
1: when you're using the fox lights do you also use like a trail camera or something like that that you can record with so you know whether or not there was predators come in and if those were effective in the program?
2: Yeah, yeah, you actually raise a good one. We've we've given out uh, or distributed several trail cameras for exactly that purpose. So if you have pictures of coyotes and wolves pacing the fence line, and they're not crossing the fence line or the solar fox light line, we're successful. So we've done that and it's going to help us with our evaluations when producers see um, see somebody looking in the camera lens.
1: Do you see a specific time of the year that the predation is higher? You've mentioned calving, which definitely you would have calves, young calves that are maybe slower to get going. But there's such a variation now and when producers are calving. Are you seeing more of that predation, say around the january february march cavers, or april may june cavers, or does it matter
2: from the data we have very few claims january through march probably because everything is so close to the house because of the temperature mm-hmm. um, once we hit april april may june it starts rising every month with coyote attacks on calves which makes sense you know the typical Manitoba calving seasons between January and May, mm-hmm. uh, with a few extending a little bit further. Uh, fall calving is a little bit of a problem, but it doesn't create a big bump in the in the in the statistics. May, June, July for coyote. Wolf is a little bit different. It's a little bit more offset to later in the summer. Wolves uh, raising pups are probably need the most nutrition, and the pups are. Um, in training to kill in uh, July, August, September. Then there's a little bit of a weaning bump again too, when calves, calves are weaned and they're moving a little bit slow due to health issues. It, it's distributed like that um, late in the year, October through December, are pretty low.
1: With the different kinds of predators, Is it more often that you're seeing, say, kills where they're actually eating the animal afterwards, or do you see often those kills where it looks like it's almost like a sport killing or there's several at one time and that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, your question bears some of the nasty truth about predation. I'll give you a good example. Wolves are pretty smart characters. They'll go in, they'll try and tear a tail off, they'll try and scratch up the hawks, they'll try and grab as many animals as they can to cause some harm. Mm -hmm. If any of those scratches cause infection and the animal starts limping or gets an infection and starts moving slower, they become easy targets. So a wolf will hang around maybe for days. In the case of like alpha male and female pair, they'll hang around for days and make it easier to kill. So they show their how to. How to kill the easy ones. It's they're they're pretty smart and it's it's a pretty rough world out there. Um I, I think a lot of people would be quite shocked to see what happens in the nighttime.
1: Yeah, I can't even imagine. So there are some aspects of the program that are being trialed at MBFI. Can you speak to what that is and kind of how it's being done right at MBFI?
2: Sure. What we're gonna do at MBFI is build a dead stock pen. This will be an ideal venue to explain that when you have something die, you take it over to the dead stock pen, you put it on a bed of straw, um, you spear the rumen so it doesn't expand and explode. Um, You put some more straw on top, and it basically starts the composting process inside the straw pile. Because we have a fence around it and a predator-proof gate, um, it doesn't get dragged back out from underneath the straw it's going to help keep coyotes from eating at MBFI. And I guess that's one of the main things is if you don't provide a meal to predators, they're less likely to make new meals. You know, if you have a few coyotes wandering through that eat the mice, great. You know, a lot of coyotes don't cause any problem. It's just the the ones that eat beef are the problem ones. Beyond that at MBFI, um, we actually set up a demonstration site where we have several different fencing types. We have some chain link fence that are used in the dead stock pens. We have some seven wire fence set up there to show people, you know, wire spacings and so forth. We have a predator proof gate set up there so people can see that. We have some flattery wire, which is, um, I should actually explain what that is. It's a thin poly electric fence with streamers hanging down from it, red streamers hanging down every 18 inches. That is supposed to distract wolves and coyotes to the degree that uh, they hopefully won't cross the line. We also have a Eklund gate with, with fladry wire attached to it. So if producers are in the area, they can come take a look at it at the Brookdale farm and, uh, and see what we're actually doing.
1: What are some of the benefits of deadstock composting? And you've kind of already touched on this, but how does that reduce the predator interactions?
2: Sure. Um, you know, the first thing I should say about deadstock composting is, is, if if your animal died of a disease or a problem, you're isolating that back away from your herd, so it's a health improvement thing for your herd too. But in our context, um, if you get the, the carcass off out of the group, take it away, put it into the deadstock composting pen. You know, it'll be it'll go away with relatively small amount of smell. Um, and it'll disappear, and you won't be causing a new food source. If you give a bear, a coyote, or a wolf a food source, they're gonna hang around. You know, they just will. You know, if you have a mortality once a month on your livestock farm, you know, that may not be enough, but between a few mice and bears eating oats or bears eating corn, that's enough for them to just live right inside your fence line. And as soon as you have something walking slow, they're ready for it. If you have no food sources or li- limited food sources, you can hope that the bear will live on somebody else's land or go back to their natural habitat. And when you have a calf walking slow, you can catch up to that calf, give it some antibiotics. Hopefully that calf is walking quick again by the time the next coyote or wolf walks back through your yard. So that's that's our plan with the dead stock. Problems.
1: So that scavenging of the deceased animal carcasses that you're trying to stop really, if you're not stopping, that is kind of an invitation to hang out, continue eating where they're eating, take down those animals that are moving slow, that aren't maybe as healthy as the rest of the herd, which then just creates that vicious cycle of there's a meal, there's another animal to prey on. I can see how that, that would be a big problem for some producers. What are the next steps for this program? after the three-year pilot project is finished?
2: Well, I can't say if if it'll be extended a lot longer, but um, the final processes of the three-year project is collect the impressions, what worked, what didn't, put it into a document, put it into multiple extension venues. So probably you'll be able to go look at the MBP website, find out, did the Flattery Wire work? Did the Fox Lights work? did the seven wire pen work and what type of issues did you have to do to keep the seven wire pen working? So we're going to try and be as practical as we possibly can. You know, um, research is good, but the the strength of our program here is it's actually being initiated on people's farms in real life circumstances with real life farmers. You can have a, a program that's done with lots of labor and people do all the extra frills and extra things but most producers don't have time to do the extras you know they have the time to basically manage their herd and if they get a few extra minutes to build a little bit of a wire fence or something like that that's all they got so we're going to try and get all the practical issues together put it into documents Um, we're working on some thoughts for video we haven't completely ironed that out yet but uh, keep watching the MBP website and attend the MBP annual meetings. We'll try and always have something there for the next year or two on our conclusions and things that work best.
1: Is there anything else about the program that you would like to share with the listeners? Uh,
2: I, I think, uh, you know, the primary thing we want to do is is come to the conclusion that predators are in our environment, no matter what effort you make, uh, even conservation's efforts they make. We are always going to have coyotes in our environment. We're always going to have a few bear. and some areas of the province are always going to have some wolves. So the big thing is is trying to mitigate the issues, keep scavenge and food sources out of their environment so that hopefully they don't live on your farm. That's That's our main message.
0: If
1: listeners want to find out more about the Livestock Predator Prevention Pilot Program, Where can they go and who can they contact?
2: Well, certainly they can contact me. I I answer questions. I have my cell phone on just about all the time and I try and help anybody who, who has some questions. The more official way of doing it is going to the MVP website, scrolling through the website to producers and then finding the icon, clicking on that and then you'll see the different risk mitigation projects. As time goes by, you know we'll have some of the the results and the conclusions there
1: we will include the link to the manitoba beef producers website which is mbbeef.ca, as well as ray's email address and phone number in the show notes for any of our listeners who'd like to get in contact with him or to find out more about the project anything else any last words before we close today
2: no, that's good. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to share this with your uh, viewers. And uh, get a, get in contact with me if you have any ideas that you want to want to bounce off of me and how we can get some predator mitigation working on your farm.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so grateful that you're able to help us spread awareness of the project, not only for the MBFI trial, but because I think that it's so relevant to so many producers. In the province and there's a lot of information that they can access, there's support that they can access um, if they're struggling with predation on their farm and hopefully this project is just the beginning of some steps that producers can take moving forward to continue reducing those losses. Thank you so very much.
2: Thank you and we'll talk again.
1: That sounds great. As mentioned in the show, the Manitoba Beef Producers annual meeting includes a report on this project. The AGM is held in February each year. Please visit the Manitoba Beef Producers website for updates on a date and location as these decisions are finalized. Manitoba Beef Producers will be holding some in-person district meetings this fall. The schedule is being finalized for these meetings and will be posted on the website as well.
0: The research programs and daily operations at mbfi would not be possible without the funding from the province of manitoba government of canada and the canadian agricultural partnership as well as partnership with manitoba agriculture manitoba beef producers ducks unlimited canada and the manitoba forage and grassland association thank you for joining us for another episode of beef and forage roundup For more information on the on-farm projects or upcoming extension events, please visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at MB Beef and Forage. For full project reports and more information about MBFI, please visit our website, mbfi.ca. If you have feedback on the show, questions about content, are interested in becoming a project supporter, or want to submit a proposal for a research project topic, please email information at mbfi.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an upcoming episode. We've got lots to share.